Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And Lou, you and I have been talking as... uh, 2019 finished and 2020 started about lots of topics that are going on in manufacturing, uh, not the least of which is the skills gap. Um, and there's a series uh, coming out in our manufacturing outlook easing um, and, you know, the difficulties manufacturers are having. So that's kind of what we're doing in 2020 for this show is to talk about those subjects with manufacturers. Uh, 2020 is going to be, uh, needless to say, an interesting year for on many counts. And mm-hmm. I've been I've been doing a fair amount of research recently about this topic, and uh, this can be a, a an incredible year because there's uh, new technologies that are coming out. Um, actually, there's even um, uh, there's now even a, a robot. Um, employment agency that yes, just right. came to the forefront. So there's, there's amazing things and amazing business models that are uh, really going to make a change going forward into this new going forward uh, decade. So uh, we, we have uh, our guest today who uh, is uh, going to talk about his products and some of the issues that we're talking about right now. So uh, why don't you do the intro, and uh, we'll get this show on the road. Great, Lou. Um, We are talking with Nimit Patel, who is the president of Hydraulic Manifolds. Um, It's very interesting because hydraulic manifolds are a uh, a device which, which controls the transfer of power between actuators and pumps. And so that's kind of a generic term, hydraulic manifolds, but... Nimit was clever enough to get his company to register the domain name hydraulicmanifolds.com. So he kind of owns that very cleverly. Nimit, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. Well, we're glad to have you here. I want, I want you to give our listeners just kind of a quick overview of hydraulic manifolds and what you all do. Sure. Um, hydraulic manifolds uh, essentially earlier known as Selling Precision, um, has been in business for almost 50 years. Um, we have been uh, the early, uh, I call it the, one of the leading and the early innovators in terms of making cartridge valve, uh, screwing cartridge valve manifolds up in the industry. Um, the, in terms of uh, defining the product, it's uh, the, the alternate keyword being used is the hydraulic integrated circuit. So when, when we talk about that, it's very similar to the in the electronics world. As we open up every electronics, there is a PC board layout, which essentially is how the circuit is being kind of laid out. So hydraulic manifolds is essentially how the brains which are the components, the valves are interconnected to each other. The flow of the fluid, the hydraulic oil, uh, is essentially it creates a pathway for the flow 
of the fluid to make it a complete uh, hydraulic system. <clears throat> so that's so in a nutshell what the manifold is all about. So I would I would assume that uh, and correct me if I'm wrong that uh, the uh, hydraulic uh, manifolds are typically are all custom made. Is there such thing as a, a one size fits all? Am I correct? Yes, the, you're very much right, uh, and that's what kind of makes it more interesting and uh, somewhat challenging. Is uh, you know, uh, it, it, like when you are looking at the entire hydraulic system, uh, pretty much most of the components are cataloged items. Uh, cataloged items meaning something that would be found on the shelf, something that is essentially uh, made up in large quantities. So, uh, you know, basically the manufacturing of those components are a little bit different because when you're making in mass quantities, it's essentially you uh, you have a more repeated process compared to the manufacturing of the manifolds is essentially uh, custom designed for a particular application. So right from the engineering, the concepts engineering all the way to manufacturing, uh, you know, it's basically being uh, kind of designed for that particular application. So there are challenges uh, right from the design and the engineering to the manufacturing because it's of course not uh, you know we are making thousands or uh, typically they are made up in like you know multiple of tens to maybe sometimes hundreds um, depending on the application. Hmm. Uh, I, I gather that uh, it requires a, a lot of uh, tooling uh, <clears throat> that that you uh, would need to use to make these particular uh, manifolds. Uh, which, of course, can be reused and modified, I, I would presume, uh, to to make a particular manifold. Would that be correct? Correct. So the, the cartridge screwing <clears throat> valves, which goes into the manifold, they have a special, uh, should I call it the contours, uh, and those contours are where the precision lies, uh, you know, uh, essentially. So uh, those contours are made using form tools. Uh, these form tools are something they could vary from a couple of hundred dollars to a couple of thousand dollars. So typically when we are talking about making a manifold and uh, a lot of people, the customers would say, okay, I mean, they can go to a machine shop and they're like, okay, they can make the manifolds. Uh, from the outside, it looks kind of somewhat easy. But then when it comes to making those precision, uh, the form tools, the concentricities, uh, and, uh, you know, as part of uh, some of these challenges that are, uh, uh, you know, that we uh, oftentimes face it, it uh, can only be achieved with having those special tools. Those special tools, uh, of course, we have more than 600 of those uh, over the years that we have made it. So that's kind of uh, is what separates us. Uh, very much from a regular machine shop, of course, the, having the know-hows of how to really make the manifolds uh, is uh, somewhat uh, over the years that we have, uh, you know, uh, basically created more efficiencies around it. Uh, typically speaking, what materials is a manifold made from? <clears throat> um, most of the manifolds are made either in aluminum 6061 
or ductile iron is the very uh, a, a prevalent material uh, which was especially up in the industry for manifold making uh, for high uh, pressure applications. Uh, uh, typically, the you know the choice of material comes in is like okay, is it less than 3,000 psi? The most of the applications are divided into two. Uh, they go with low pressure, less than 3,000 psi, and then the higher than 3,000 psi. So the valves, the various components, the even the manifolds, uh, essentially if they are less than 3,000 psi. Uh, the customers and us usually try to make them up in aluminum 6061. If it's higher than that, ductile iron is probably the first choice uh, unless there is uh, some uh, unique applications, if it's a marine applications or if it's something that requires things like stainless, uh, then of course uh, those criteria play a role which, uh, you know, basically um, uh, you know, we, we, we have been making manifolds um, up in not just ductile iron and aluminum, but also up in various steels and stainless steels. So is temperature a factor at all? High temperature, temperature low um, temperature application? Uh, the temperature is typically uh, is a product of the heat inside the hydraulic application. Uh, of, of course, uh, you know, there are some materials and uh, I mean, so it's, it's uh, in the typical hydraulic system, you would like to avoid heat and the high temperature, uh, you know, and then because there is uh, with the temperature, the various expansions, uh, the fluid also deteriorates at a higher level. Mm -hmm. um, but in, uh, in it, when it comes to the manifold, uh, you know, identification of the material, temperature is uh, not one of the key factors that plays a role. But uh, in terms of the entire hydraulic application, uh, usually the the heat comes is is a is a byproduct of uh, of the the entire hydraulics. And if there is a heat, then uh, typically there is. Uh, uh, either a little poor design or uh, somewhere something is wrong, which essentially means the, the energy is not converted to work, but uh, it basically is being wasted as heat. So you wouldn't be using necessarily nickel alloys or cobalt alloys uh, in the application? That's not typical, uh, you know, but uh, if if there is a... Uh, a need, uh, you know, th there are, there is a, a, a small portion of nickel and cobalt in the various uh, uh, steel materials, but uh, not the high nickel or high cobalt uh, mm -hmm. type material mm -hmm. is uh, prevalent in the manifold makings. Niven, I'm just curious if the, uh, and as I looked at some of the pictures on your website at hydraulic manifolds.com these are basically uh, square uh, <clears throat> rectangular shaped uh, metal uh, I'm just wondering is that cut from plate cut from bar or are those forged <clears throat> to get some of the higher properties sure uh, majority of the, the the raw material utilized is bars um, you know the when the sizes are not available up in bars 
then we move towards plates. Um, you know, uh, the forged material, of course, uh, in U.S. manufacturing, labor is the, the kind of the highest cost. So, uh, but there are some, uh, we just lately made uh, one manifold up in 4140, uh, 4143, uh, which was actually a forged material. Um, and uh, it was up uh, for a high pressure application up in oil and gas. What are the sizes so, of these manifold blocks, <clears throat> Um Interesting you mentioned that because, uh, you know, some of them are up in, like, maybe half a pound, so about two, three inches in dimension, uh, length, width, or height. Uh, but And then some of them are almost, uh, uh, we lately made a manifold which was almost like a, 36 inches to 46 inches long uh, as a you know it was a long kind of a bar uh, although the cross-sectional wasn't that big um, so some of them can kind of go big uh, and then uh, the one of the the one I was just mentioning about uh, the 4140 uh, material manifold that we made that was almost uh, more than 1200 pounds 12 or 15 13 1400 pounds Hmm. Interesting. So, you might you might want to uh, consider sending a request for a quote to our show sponsor, which happens to be All Metals and Forge Group, uh, and see whether or not uh, the pricing issue that you run across at, at forgings being more expensive is still an issue. It may uh, it may surprise you, but but uh, we'd certainly encourage you to do that, Lou. Definitely, yeah. definitely. We are always looking for some suppliers because that's what keeps us more competitive in the market space is how can we kind of bring in savings to our customer. Uh, Nimit, uh, you are in business 50 years. Uh, you've, I'm sure you've had uh, uh, your turnover of uh, people, uh, uh, talent and skills. Uh, and one of the big problems here in the United States now and going forward is the skill gap uh, and the fact that uh, the the old timers are beginning to uh, take their retirement checks and sit on the porch and smoke their pipe. Uh, And that's a huge problem in view of the fact that there's something like 10,000 people a day are retiring and only 4,000 people a day coming into the uh, manufacturing workforce. Are you experiencing a similar problem? And, and if you are, how are you dealing with this? This is a major yes. issue. Correct. Uh, I think uh, every manufacturer, uh, you know, uh, also me attending some of the uh, NJMEP's uh, events and then trying to connect with the various manufacturer. This is a, a one uh, huge challenge as we face it presently, and then it's going to be a bigger one up in the near and long-term future. Um, it means uh, the, the way I kind of see uh, U.S. manufacturing means this is probably going to be one of the biggest factor what will make us, uh, you know, uh, how, we, how uh, the U.S. manufacturing is going to be seen at the global level. Uh, one of the means uh, I had been spending uh, some time talking to some of the folks as well as also, uh, you know, I have been trying to 
analyze uh, this whole big picture uh, myself. Uh, I have a background up in doing data collection and analysis. So based on my observation uh, on the, what I've seen uh, having a project management background and doing the risk evaluation, uh, what I've seen is the U.S. manufacturing as uh, we look at the past and then coming to the present, it's been more of a, what I would like to call it is a people-driven process. Uh, before I kind of go into this, let me try to uh, touch base uh, in terms of every organization, essentially, no matter it's the manufacturing or as of any kind, product-based or a service-based, the, the way I have learned in my kind of early project management classes is people, process, and technology. Those are the three pillars that every organization basically is uh, pivoted upon. Um, you know, every single thing in terms of within the organization, uh, it, it falls into those three elements, people, process, and technology. Um, you know, it means of those three elements, uh, you know, two of those elements uh, are, you know, essentially uh, essential importance of, uh, for every organization. Uh, you know, if there two of those elements are strong enough, the third one essentially, uh, even if it's a little bit weak, you know, the, the organization will thrive. So moving into that is what I've seen the U.S. manufacturing in the past has been more of people-driven process. And what I mean by that is there was this high level of skills and every machinist, if, if we give a product, uh, you know, even within my organizations and elsewhere, you know, if I say here's a raw material, here's a drawing for the manifold making, Everybody has their own flavor or, or twists in terms of how to make the product. So uh, when I tried to look at it, uh, the, the way I started into this is, uh, you know, oftentimes, of course, we try to quote these custom products and we say this will uh, probably take about two hours of labor. Of course, not all the labor skills are the same. Sometimes it takes one and a half hour. Other times it takes two and a half hours. So this is where... Uh, it's not just, again, uh, this is very common in manufacturing. Sometimes there is some other hurdles. Not everybody performs equally the same at any given time and compare themselves with the other times. But uh, essentially, this people-driven process, the, the skills that a person has, uh, you know, means uh, essentially plays a big role, the experience and the skills. Now, I don't mean to say that, you know, people's skills are not important, but what I mean to say is, uh, you know, if there is a, prescri a prescription in terms of how to make the manifolds, like how to make the product, and uh, the v one very good example is if we go to Starbucks or McDonald's or any of these franchise retailers, we go to any part of the world, their product is consistently the same. Now, there's a different group of people making the same product. How do they really make things happen? How can we bring that same aspect into the manufacturing? So we are not really going ourselves into customizing the process too much and, and adopting more standard methodology. You know, we have a prescribed process. So essentially, even up in Starbucks, they know exactly the same the, the the ingredients how much to kind of add 
to the coffee and for how long and what temperature does that need to be processed. So that's what makes the, the Starbucks coffee consistently the same from one place to another. They have everything kind of detailed out. So going back and applying that same methodology into the manufacturing, uh, you know, means uh, how can we really bring that into the manufacturing? It has been a thought. I've been trying to work towards it. And what I, I've tried to like to call this is this is a process-driven people rather than a people-driven process. So now if I have a two machinist, if there is a prescribed process, okay, and then if they are trying to work through that same process, then there are a chance of having consistent results. Now, if, that same, if a product is being made by two different people, there's a good chance they will both deliver it at the same consistent time frame. Now, it may not happen compared to, bef like, you know, if a highly skilled labor performs it at an hour and a half and then another low-skilled labor performs it at two and a half hour, it may happen to be at two hours, but now we have consistent results. We have more predictability. We have more understanding of where the, the the process is and then we can kind of improve that process to bring from two hours to the hour and a half that the ideal scenario that somebody else had it based off the lessons learned and improving the process now how does this help and relate to what you mentioned is the labor pool the skilled labor pool that was around for years and years as they retire this process is already kind of uh, written down. It's already there, ingrained into the working process of the organization. So then as people are retiring, there's other group of people who can come in and with less of a learning curve and the, the, the newer generation, of course, they're not going to have 30 years of experience and they're more technological driven people. So less of a, a hands-on. The schools nowadays try to t teach less of the uh, the, the tradesmanship, uh, you know, how to really be a machinist, but they try to teach how to basically uh, create programs up in the computers. So going into and shifting this paradigm, I think, uh, you know, we need to uh, change the, the whole look in terms of how we do manufacturing. And uh, if I need to, uh, you know, say it in a nutshell, it needs to be process-driven people, uh, technological, technology-enabled, process-driven people. So leveraging computers, leveraging some of these tool sets to how we create a process and how we make the manufacturing happen. Well, correct me uh, on this following point, that <clears throat> ISO 9000, uh, really does add a lot to your concept of people, <clears throat> process, and technology, because under ISO uh, uh, concept, you have to show what you do and then do what you say you do and then prove it. Okay. So uh, that that fits very well to your uh, your theory. And uh, methodology, uh, I, I gather you agree with that. Yes, very much so. So the current, uh, I think there is a perception out there talking to various manufacturing is ISO, that a lot of businesses go out of business because of the, the, the burden that it brings in. 
the way I kind of uh, understand, read, and talking to some of the people, the, the latest 2015 standard is uh, very much lightweight, and uh, it's more kind of around, uh, you know, not really having an intense documentation, but how do you really manage risk? How do you really create a process, and how is that process enabling you to create consistent results and reduce the level of risk? So uh, agreed. Uh, you know, ISO, I think, uh, uh, you know, was the, the driving uh, factor for us to kind of move in this direction. And uh, we received the ISO 9001 with flying colors. And uh, one of the key things with that ISO also brings in that I should mention is continuous improvement. Like, you know, means how uh, we and uh, as a manufacturer are trying to keep uh, a tap uh, uh, of like you know where the waste is in the process, and uh, what are we doing to kind of create efficiencies uh, in, in in that area? The uh, mantra of continuous improvement is by far the the basis under which ISO um, uh, operates. Um, All Metals and Forge Group, the sponsor of this show. Uh, has been ISO uh, since 1994, and uh, at the time, uh, the feeling and the pushback from companies and employees, you know, why do we need this? Why do we need to be dictated to by a foreign country, Switzerland? And uh, it didn't take long for uh, companies and employees to realize that if you don't have ISO, you won't be in business for very long. And I think that's proven uh, time and time again. Right. Yep. I agree. Yes, no doubt. Uh, Nimit, just in uh, in closing here, as we begin to wrap up this segment, uh, is there anything else? Uh, I'm always looking for the unique story in a manufacturer, something uh, that they either didn't expect or they were able to deliver that the customer said, wow, I, I'm not quite sure this is possible. Uh, and after 50 years in business, you've got one or two of those stories. I wonder if you could share one with us. Sure. Um, I mean, so are we looking more up uh, to the product uh, that we are we're talking more about, like the process? Uh, more about the product, you know, these, I don't think people uh, in general um, quite appreciate what hydraulics do. Uh, and a lot of the machinery out there that we observe on a daily basis, you know, if we drive by a construction site, there are earth movers out there. And we go, oh, look at that big machine moving earth. And they may not realize quite what hydraulics do to make that big machine do what it does. Exactly, exactly. So um, to kind of elaborate and ex- uh, expand on to more is hydraulics is everywhere, uh, you know, from, the, the, you know, means our, our website kind of has the various industries that we do cater into, um, you know, I mean, some of the, the kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the wow industries that we have supported is like uh, Disney Walls, uh, you know, essentially each and every ride has hydraulics. You don't realize that, uh, but then you, you closely observe it, like, you know, essentially there's hydraulics everywhere. The tow trucks uh, that, you know, our cars uh, basically, the you know, uh, carries it from one place to another when it breaks down. 
uh, even the small jacks, uh, you know, basically is the hydraulics that allows us to jack up the car and uh, take the, the tires out. Uh, so the hydraulics uh, is, uh, you know, in the various machineries, like the machineries even that we use, has hydraulics built into it. Uh, all the various manufacturings, essentially the equipment, they do have hydraulics in there. Uh, you know, the, the space, uh, SpaceX, uh, the, from the various simulation uh, equipment to the, the launching pads, uh, everything has hydraulics in there. So uh, there is a, you know, even the aerospace industries, the, how the, you know, the tires are basically lifted up, that's all hydraulics. So anything which where uh, requires, uh, you know, the work that needs to be done to displace, uh, you know, the big mass from one place to another, uh, that the human hands cannot uh, basically do it. Uh, I think that there is hydraulics uh, is, is where it plays a, a key role in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the amplifying the force and uh, doing the work from one place to another. As you said, the earth-moving equipments are one kind of, uh, you know, the common applications, the utility trucks that allows a person to go up at several uh, feet high and uh, essentially work on the, the utility electrical lines or uh, basically do the, whatever they need to do. So um, there is hydraulics in more places. If we keep an open uh, eye, we, we would find it. Even the bridge applications, as it goes up and down, we do make manifolds, and that's where some of the several hundreds uh, of pounds, like, you know, about a ton, uh, right. big manifold uh, goes into the, the use. The oil and gas in terms of exploration, um, uh, you know, to, uh, everywhere in, in its equipment, there is oil and gas, uh, there is uh, uh, hydraulics. So no doubt. We can probably talk all day long in terms of creating a list of where the hydraulics uh, plays a key role. But, uh, you know, it means lately all this uh, robotics and automation is, uh, is a one big area where, uh, you know, we're all talking about automations and robotics and uh, how to really make our jobs easier. Uh, but uh, it's uh, nothing other than a combination of uh, mechanics, which is the hydraulics and uh, electronics and uh, controls, so small computers. So computers combined with hydraulics is essentially what the robotics is all about. No doubt. Well, Nimit, your company is one of those that makes manufacturing cool because you do solve problems, and we encourage our listeners who are thinking, you know, gee, do, do I make manufacturing a career? I have to tell you that manufacturing is where all the cool R&D stuff happens before you buy a finished product. So, Nimit, we appreciate you joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for being here. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for having thank me. You, thank you, Nimit. Well, Lou, a, a, another fascinating story from manufacturing. I always like to point out to our listeners that manufacturing R&D and problem solving, you know, if that's in your DNA as a, uh, a millennial or a 30-year-old or even if you're a 50-year-old wondering, well, what could my next career be? You know, manufacturing does some really cool stuff. Absolutely. And uh, if anything, it's growing uh, faster um, and uh, more interesting and uh, uh, things that uh, makes 
make sci-fi um, more reality than sci-fi. Yeah, that's right. Well, we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us on, on this episode. You can find all of our episodes, I think, which are now cresting over 400 in our library at mfgtalkradio.com, a, a Jacket Media Company production. And, uh, Lou, what else have we got on the radar? Well, actually, we broke 400 uh, yesterday for uh-huh. the first time on one of our five shows. So we have hit a milestone. Uh, I did say to uh, Craig, our engineer, uh, 400 heading to 1,000. Yeah, right. Well, that's right. We continue to add to our body of work as we talk to manufacturers. So join Absolutely. us often, and thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.